interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Hello everyone, and hello humans. Welcome to Not A Robot's Marvel Comics Review Show. Today, we are going to be talking about Miss Marvel Beyond the Limit number 3, The Thing number 5, Carnage Forever number 1, Elektra Black, White, and Blood number 2, Spider-Woman number 20, She-Hulk number 2, Captain America and Iron Man number 4, Moon Knight number 9, What If Miles Morales Was Captain America, Ghost Rider number 1, Doctor Strange number 1, Daredevil Woman Without Fear number 3, X-Men number 9, and Amazing Spider-Man 91. My name is Kirk, and I am the captain of the starship Morissette, and I'm joined by a lovely co-host today. We've got Brandon. Hello, hello. I'm, uh, I'm very excited to be here uh, in good spirits, because Lord knows you would not want to see me when I'm angry. <laughs> We're here to read, critique, and review Marvel's weekly releases without any interference from the publisher. If you like our show, you can find us on Twitter at NotARobotComics. You can find me there at Kirk Hopko, and we answer show mail sent to NotARobotComics at gmail.com. Before we get going, just want to say thank you to all our listeners. You're out there liking, downloading, and sharing our episodes, and that helps us get more listeners and bring you more of the content you guys love. If you want to support us financially, you can head over to www.buymeacoffee.com slash NARpodcasts. You'll get added to our Discord server for even more comic discussions, as well as other random topics every week. I know this is a Marvel podcast, but if you're interested to hear us dish about the latest Batman movie, that's the place to be. If you want to learn more about the rest of the Not A Robot podcast shows, head to notarobotpodcast.com. So before we d- dive into our reviews, any big news that we want to cover today? Uh, I don't have any major comic news that I can remember, um, just sort of minor things, um, at least personally, um, not, not much is, uh, is going on in my life, just kind of business as usual. I did get to see the Batman last night as, uh, as I evidenced in our, our Discord server, um, which I, I really enjoyed. You can definitely feel the runtime of the two hours and 55 minutes, uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I had a lot of fun, and um, I think it's, it's definitely a movie that I'm going to be re-watching a couple times uh, in the near future. Awesome. Yeah, as far as big news, um, a lot of Marvel's ongoing news has sort of come and gone at this point, especially in the comic sphere. Um, I think the only thing that really hit my... Uh, hit my feed this week that is almost beneath mentioning is that they've announced yet another Avengers mech series because the last two have been <laughs> so incredibly received. Oh, yes. Yes, they have. Um, but this new one, Avengers Mech Strike Monster Hunters, uh, seems to have them in new robots facing off against... Well, monsters. Other than that, Joy. I don't have a lot of news. Um, <laughs> minor MCU news this week with uh, all of the Netflix series transferring over to Disney Plus this month. That, um, If you didn't get a chance to watch them before they left Netflix, don't worry. They'll be on Disney Plus before you know it. And that's all I've got. So I think we can dive into some comic books. Yeah. I, I uh, just in terms of, of Marvel news, like I said, all I had were really just two minor things um, that uh, I think might be worth uh, 
talking about. The first was, again, just the trailer that they put out for the relaunch of Amazing Spider-Man. Yes, another relaunch, which we talked about in the last episode. But uh, if you want to get excited, uh, there's a new trailer for it uh, on the uh, Marvel YouTube uh, channel. Um, And that, again, is, of course, from uh, Zeb Wells and... uh, uh, John Romita, the new creative team, John Romita Jr. Um, and then the second minor thing was just they released the um, lettered preview for next week's uh, uh, Punisher. Um, and there's been a lot of kind of, not hype, but like interest, I think, in this one, just because they kind of put Punisher on pause for a little bit where they figured out what exactly they wanted to do next with him, given some of the controversy around the symbols. So um, the preview is out the 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 tease is out um for next week's release and uh, we'll we'll see how that goes but we'll be sure to give you our uh, our unbiased opinion on it so that's all i have mm-hmm. awesome well yeah then let's dive into our speed round here we've got a handful of comics to get through um and if you're new here our speed round is a place where we just uh we go through some of them and we don't spend too much time breaking them down we might still get wrapped up in the occasional conversation um but when we've got a lot of comics to cover sometimes we can't give them all full press and our first one this week that we're going to talk about is miss marvel beyond the limit number three this one it comes to us by writer samira ahmed uh artist by andre genolet color by triona farrell and lettering by Joe Caramagna. And this just continues the Miss Marvel Beyond the Limits uh, series, it, where the last one ended with Miss Marvel coming to terms with the fact that she has a, uh, a doppelganger running around the city. This one sort of pull, pushes that thread along, revealing who the doppelganger is, uh, and putting Miss Marvel, trying to put Miss Marvel on the path to help help out this person who was using her identity and causing maybe just a bit of trouble and it's a good book it it has Mm -hmm. trademark miss marvel solo series like quirky charm Mm -hmm. um and it's uh the art is nice it's um a little on the uh, i'd say cartoonier side but that it's a it's a vibe that works Mm -hmm. uh and i really enjoyed it i i'm not gonna spend too much time going into it the uh, the character that we have as this this sort of impersonator, uh, she spends some time with Kamala and gives Kamala time to sort of show who she is around her family, around her friends, and uh, really just sort of develop the full spectrum of her character. And I enjoyed it. Mm. I'd probably give it a seven point five out of ten. Awesome. Yeah, I, I uh, like I said, I, I haven't had a chance to check out this series. It's just sort of completely flown beneath my radar and. Uh, didn't even know it was on a third issue. Didn't even know I had a third issue until this week. So um, it, it sounds cute, and, and just flipping through that third issue, it looks really cute. Um, and uh, I, I hope I have a chance to, to actually check it out. It seems like it might be kind of a, a fun, satisfying read. Yeah, awesome. Uh, so next on our list is The Thing, number five. Uh, this comes to us from writer Walter Mosley, art by Tom Riley, color by Jordi Belair, lettering by uh, Joe Sabino. Uh, and I'll pass this one over to Brandon. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, so yeah, this is The Thing, The Next Big Thing, uh, part five. Uh, when we had last left our, our 
lovable, ever-loving, blue-eyed thing, Aunt Petunia's sweet nephew. Um, he was facing off against quite a deadly trio of uh, Terax, Berserker, and the Faceless One. Um, but again, this is the thing we're talking about, and he's going to put up his dukes regardless, which he does, but kind of gets the, the snot beat out of him at, uh, at certain points. Um, is able to get the upper hand on, I believe it is, um, Berserker um, uh, before kind of stumbling over and, uh, and passing out. Uh, meanwhile, the uh, two kids that he'd had under his care um, <coughs> are just kind of going off and uh, uh, trying to uh, find a way to, to help Ben. Um, and... Uh, you know, before they're they're able to sort of reunite with uh, with Ben and uh, um, give him uh, I forget what it is exactly, but it's like this orb thing that they believe is going to help. Um, who should show up but Doctor Doom, who gives his whole diatribe <laughs> as is to be expected, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's um, it's it's fun. I mean, as a penultimate chapter, maybe not the strongest one. But I think this thing series has just been like a really kind of fun classic throwback to you know that era of of you know Ben in in his more curmudgeon ways, um, and uh, yeah, just really showing what makes the thing kind of this lovable character, um, this this lasting Kirby character. Um, so yeah, it's 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 been pretty fun. At least I've been having fun with it so far, um, and the art from Tom Riley is uh, is as excellent as it has been since the first issue. So uh, I gave it an eight. Yeah, um, my time with this issue, I enjoyed it. It was still written well, and I enjoyed it. I felt it sort of for a penultimate issue. It moved along and wrapped up things a little quicker and more. Um, sort of just like oh okay a bit more uh what's the word i'm looking for convenient mm -hmm. uh like doom shows up and doom's got a problem uh and they talk about it for you know two pages uh doom saying he's after his mom and then thing beats up doom and says let's go fix your mom problem but you don't get everything you want and doom just says okay <laughs> And then the boy who two pages ago was said to Doom that he's a, just a kid from Brooklyn um, sheds that appearance and becomes like a shadow kid. Mm -hmm. And the thing just says, uh, what's going on? And he says, I don't know. The master of the blue area might be my dad, I think. <laughs> and the thing just accepts that in like a one panel flip. <laughs> yeah, it was a little odd. Yeah, it, it just got started getting really quick and really convenient in the last few pages. Uh, which just felt weird, because I've mm -hmm. loved so much of this series up to this point. Um, I gave this one an 8 also, just because the art still looks amazing, and the, the voice of these characters still is top-notch. Mm -hmm. If the pacing is a little off, I'll still give it a pass. I'm still enjoying it. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, next we've got Carnage Forever number one. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's okay. I'll try and be nice. Uh, Carnage Forever number one uh, comes to us with a, a pair of stories. 
first by Philip Kennedy Johnson on writing, Edgar Salazar on art, Rochelle Rosenberg on color, Joe Sabido on lettering. And then the second one comes to us with Ram V on writing, Salvador LaRocca on art, Rain Barreto on color, and a funnies page at the end, all done by Ty Templeton. Uh, this story, the two stories here, we get one that's a very traditional creepy carnage fair. Um, he bonds a little girl who's being mistreated, um, is creepy with her, kills her dog, kills her family, uh, scares the crap out of a guy on the street, potentially kills him. And then we get a second story of what looks like is probably going to be the direct lead in to Carnage number one. Carnage Mm -hmm. breaks into, uh, Ravencroft. Is it Ravencroft? No, it's just a prison. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, to steal the powers or steal a host who has powers uh, to lead to what might be an interesting carnage version in the next uh, in the ongoing series and I'm going to be honest I didn't like this book (laughs) (laughs) Uh, art wise it is gorgeous they've got an amazing team on both of these stories Uh, carnage looks great if, if Carnage books looked like this when I liked Carnage, I would have, well, I would have liked Carnage still more, probably. Um, but at this point, I'm just, I've been so over symbioted, and Carnage is definitely the least interesting symbiote for me to get stories about. Because <laughs> his, his whole angle is that he's just crazy. And if they make him not crazy to make him more readable, he kind of stops being Carnage. Yeah, then he's just another symbiote character. Yeah, I, I don't want Carnage to be likable. I don't want him to see the error of his ways. But I also don't want to read him while he's a jerk, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Or while he's a psychopath. <laughs> I don't know. I gave this one uh, like a 6 out of 10. It was just creepy Carnage stuff. It's super readable. If you're a big fan of symbiotes, it's actually probably an okay book. <laughs> but mm. it's just... Just Cletus being weird, or not even Cletus. It's his symbiote identifies as Cletus now. I'm not 100 percent on that. Yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. His his symbiote has somehow broken free of of Cletus, and you know has basically full agency of its own, and is just kind of doing its thing. And yeah, it's uh, <laughs> I, I I don't know to be honest. It's it's a lot. Um, I, I didn't hate the issue. It was like fine. It was competent, but I, I definitely echo your sentiments, Kirk. It is pretty much exactly what you would expect from a Carnage book. He shows up, kills some people, monologues about how he's evil or whatever, and then that's pretty much it. And at least the second one is like setting up a new direction, but I just don't know how much I'm interested. Um, I. I you know, enjoy Rom V, and I enjoy his work on Venom so far. But um, uh, Carnage is going to be a hard sell. I'm, I'm not going to lie; I just really don't care all that much for the character, and uh, I, I, I don't know how interested I'll be in a series that's dedicated to him. Um, I know they've had them in the past, but I generally have have not read those because um, they just didn't interest me. Yeah, no, I I don't blame you, and I, I'm definitely in the same boat with a lot of 
Carnage related stuff. Um, so not to belabor our time with Carnage, how about we move on to <laughs> one I'm a bit more excited to talk about. Electra Black, White, and Blood, number two. Uh, this one is continuing the Black, White, and Blood saga of collections of, I, I want to say colorless, but limited palette um, comics done in terms of a character. We've had Wolverine, Black, White, and Blood, Deadpool, Black, White, and Blood, Carnage, Black, White, and Blood. Um, <laughs> we've had a few of these now, and mm. Electra's uh, got three short stories in this one, one called Cut and Run by Peter David on writing, Greg Land on penciling, Jay Layston on ink, and Frank Daramata on color. Uh, Verite by Al Ewing writing and Rod Rice on art and color. And Yokai by Greg Smallwood on writing, art, and color. And Joe Caramagna lettered the whole thing. And I'm going to pass it over to Brandon to talk about the issue. My pleasure. This was a, a pleasant surprise. I don't remember if I read the first Electra. I want to say I did. Um, but if I did, I, I, I don't remember all that much about it. Um, so at least visiting this one, I was kind of just like, eh, you know, I'll, I'll give it a read. Like, I really like the art and the creative team seem interesting enough that I would check it out. Um, and I'm really glad I did because um, I feel like each story brings a really interesting energy. Um, but I would say particularly the last two stories from Al Ewing, Rodriguez, and um, Greg Smallwood. Um, because those ones are, are largely wordless issues um, that really just focus on um, an aspect of Electra. So the second one, I think, really emphasizes Electra as the stealth assassin. And it almost works as a horror story, which I thought was really cool because it's like, you know, you almost don't even see her coming. She's just there and you're dead, mm -hmm. um, which was really cool. <laughs> um, and then the second one is just kind of Electra as, you know, sort of this. Uh, avenging angel if you will um where she is you know staying in a small japanese town and is able to kind of step in and um help them uh fight off uh, this evil demon that i you know has really been plaguing the town um and then you know the first story is just kind of a, a lectures on a mission from wolverine and helps out with a you know kind of a down on her luck woman um and while that one was good you know the art from greg land is not great but it, it it functions it works in how it's supposed to um but again i think the two standouts of this book are definitely the last two stories that are just really interesting and creative in their approach um to, to telling a story so um i would definitely say check it out i i actually gave this one in, in uh 8.5 just because i was really impressed with um how creative and, and, and interesting and engaging these stories um were presenting themselves so um if you can yeah definitely see if you can and check it out and uh even if you're not like the biggest fan of electra or you know just are looking for basic electra stories like i feel like this will be pretty satisfying for you yeah no uh i can really just echo that uh i had a good time with it i um i didn't write a number on this one um I'd probably give it an eight out of ten. Like for uh, for an anthology issue, it stood out. Some of these black, white, and bloods get a little. I don't want to say repetitive, but they are yeah. usually like multiple sets of multiple anthology issues, um, and they're not all born equally. But this one was yeah. a good one. I really no, enjoyed I, it. I think I think that's I think that's fair to say that some sometimes they do get a little bit repetitive. 
Mm-hmm. But this one, this one st- was a standout. Mm. All right. Next, we've got Spider Woman number twenty. This comes to us by Carla Pacheco, Per Perez, uh, Frank Diarmada on color, and Travis Lanham on lettering. And this one starts with a lot big splash page that made me laugh right at the beginning that says <laughs> absolutely nothing is going to happen after oh, 20 issues the inconceivable <laughs> finally occurs no chills no thrills unbelievable non-action on every page my god I'm i stunned. really liked this issue yeah so this issue features the start of the the anti-iraq nine uh, the the silliest <laughs> sinister six knockoff I've ever heard. And uh, it's a group being started to stop Spider Woman because uh, she's pissed them all off, and they are having a evil meeting in uh, in Octavia's lair to discuss who they are and what they bring to the table to help stop Jessica Drew, this thorn in all of their collective sides. And we cut to Jessica Drew just sort of living her life while some bad things kind of happen to her, but like minor things. <laughs> um, all of the while we cut to this seminar that Octavia is having where there's like little yeah, finger sandwiches I don't know what you call it. Yeah, it's it's literally like a villain seminar. That's like the best way to put it, where they're like, how how to to be a villain. Right? And they're all talking about the things they've done to inconvenience Jessica Drew. And and none of these were things that were worth her donning the costume and stopping them. Like, they're they're just like minor inconveniences that just seem to annoy her in the context of her day-to-day life. (laughs) Um, one of them used a monster truck and ran over her motorcycle. Yeah. Like, uh, but the humor is on point in this issue and it's leading into what's going to obviously be a big fight issue in probably number 21. Mm. Uh, and I had a lot of fun reading it. Yeah, definitely. Um, Carla Pacheco really hit just like a humorous note. And, and had some fun with this issue, and, and I did too. I, I gave it uh, an eight point two five. I ended up giving this one an eight out of ten. Um, I, I almost want to score it higher because it 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 did lie to me. Like there genuinely was no action. Like every time <laughs> it, it was it was actually almost hilarious. Every time they set up for like an action scene um, where like something is happening while you know Jess is doing her thing, that feels like it's going to lead to like some kind of you know um throwdown it cuts back to the seminar so it's almost like teasing you like nope we're, we're gonna tease it but we're not actually gonna show it um because we promise <laughs> no action and and you will get no action um and it was like yeah you you didn't lie to me i'm i'm shocked um so <laughs> yeah no it was it was just really fun otherwise and uh, I, I would gladly um I would gladly take another villain seminar because um, I was I was starting to take notes myself, um, seeing if I could learn how to <laughs> maybe properly inconvenience Jessica Drew uh, in my own life. So, yeah, no, it was just really satisfying. <laughs> uh, awesome. 
Well, so let's hop over to She-Hulk number two. Um, this comes to us by writer Rainbow Roll, art by Roge Antonio, uh, color by Rico Renzi, and lettering by Joe Caramagna. Um, and I'm also just going to shout out, I, I don't do this enough, uh, this She-Hulk series also has amazing covers by Jen Bartel. Yes, I've seen them. They're so good. Oh, my God. They are so good. <laughs> uh, and so at the end of last issue, which was a really good premiere issue, if you haven't picked up She-Hulk number one, uh, and you think you might be a fan of of She-Hulk, and you maybe missed her while she was in super mega caveman mode the past, <laughs> I don't know, I want to say year and a half. Uh, pick up number one, it was a good issue. And number two picks up right where that one left off, where Jack of Hearts is back. And yeah. he... Well, not to go into too much detail, he... He's human-ish now. He he has physical needs. Where he never needed to eat, drink, or sleep before, he now does. Most of this issue is spent recapping a bit of Jack, who Jack is. So if you aren't a, a long-running comic reader, a long-running She-Hulk reader, or anything like that, it's pretty safe to get in here with this. Like They're, they're going to explain a little bit. Uh, about his powers they show you a little bit about what he can do about his relationship with the avengers with tony stark with jen and, and then we get to see jen sort of looking after him trying to help him out and uh getting ready for her day we see a couple panels of her doing her uh doing her thing and showing up at work and she's she's big she's green she's never looked better she's like full of mirth like uh like conan <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh it's a good start to a good series uh or it's continuing a good start to a good series uh i gave this one an eight and a half i'm it's it's not groundbreaking but it was so much fun and i i look forward to this series it's definitely near the top of my pull list oh yeah there, there's something like always kind of lovable about she hulk series I, I don't know what it is like i mean i haven't read a ton but the, the select few that I've read, um, the uh, the iconic John Byrne one, um, and I think a little bit of the Dan Slott one, like they're they're always just a lot of fun. Like it's it's just there's something about Shulky that just makes her like such a lovable character, whether <laughs> she's kicking it with the Fantastic Four or the Avengers, um, where I, I think it's it's such a an interesting um, comparison of of you know someone like like Jen Walters who's definitely a lot more like personable and, and fun and then you have bruce who's just like homeless <laughs> most of the time he's like doesn't have pants or like proper clothes like he's just a mess um and, and it seemed like jen was kind of like that for a moment but uh but now she's kind of got her, her life back together now that she's like you said no longer in her weird roided out berserker mode um but no it's 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 been a lot of fun so far um i'm, I'm really grateful Jesus, I'm really glad that uh, that uh, Rainbow Roll is um, is doing this series. Um, was, I was a fan of, of her Runaways um, for the most part. There were some weaker points, but I, I felt like she was a perfect fit for She-Hulk, and and uh, I've not been disappointed so far. And I was shocked of all things to see um, the issue start with a flashback to red zone which is an avengers story written by of all people jeff johns the the dc like 
superstar guy. Um, but I, I hadn't read that until very recently, so it's still kind of fresh in my mind. And I was like, oh my God, someone actually remembers that. Um, which is <laughs> kind of weird to see. But no, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, and like Crick said, even if you don't know a ton about Shulky or, or um, Jack of Hearts, they kind of give you a lot to, to chew on and uh, you know, understand who these characters are. And um, it, it's just a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice to kind of have this, this version of, uh, of Shulky back and kind of doing her thing. Um, I, hope, I hope this series kind of continues for a while. It looks like it's doing pretty well. I, I heard it got like a second printing. So uh, hopefully people are, are really enjoying it as, as much as we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I, I hope people pick it up. It's, it's mm-hmm. definitely, it's one I, I hope to keep around for a while. I'm, I'm a big fan yeah. of the character She-Hulk. Her show's gonna be coming out this year. Uh, I'm excited. Yeah, I, I hope it seems like that one's gonna be more of like a lighthearted tone. But I, I, I'm kind of looking forward to that because I think it would just be really great to have a, a more um, I don't know. I don't want to say like, like, um, too lighthearted, but I, I think it would be nice to kind of have like a jovial Hulk type of show. I feel like most of them are usually kind of more dour. I mean, Hulk definitely had his, his funny moments during Endgame and stuff like that, but, um, it, it would be kind of nice to see, you know, the, the, uh, what do they call her? Not the Jolly Green Giant. I, I forget what it's called. Her her, her many nicknames. Um, but it would be nice <laughs> to see that. And uh, I, I really like the actress that they chose for She-Hulk. She's great. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. I hope it kind of has that that similar comedic tone to the to the comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've they've announced that it is going to be a bit more on the lighthearted side, which is cool. Yeah. Uh, also, just because I think Marvel needs to ride both lines, it, like. Some people are complaining about the sort of saturation of Marvel content, which, if you're not a huge fan of it, I get. But mm-hmm. what I do love is now that they're reaching that sort of saturation, they are branching out. They're going to have shows that are twisted like WandaVision, darker like Moon Knight, and potentially lighthearted and goofy like She-Hulk might be. Yeah, um, I mean, it's it's. I think it's just offering a lot of diversity that you could have um you know, like a political thriller type show like a Falcon Winter Soldier or, you know, something that, that might be more comedic like a She-Hulk um, and just do a lot of different things and still um, be able to balance, um, you know, the the different genres. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So next we're going to go to Captain America and Iron Man, issue four. Brought to us by writer Derek Landy, art by Angel Unzueta, uh, color by Rochelle Rosenberg, and lettering by Joe Caramagna. Uh, Brandon, I'll pass this one over to you. Yeah, uh, this has been kind of like a, a, I almost want to call it like a a sleeper title. Um, Just like, I feel like probably not a lot of people are talking about this one, um, just because it's kind of, it looks like, oh, you know, whatever, just kind of a kind of a, a whatever miniseries, but it, it's been really solid so far, um, at least for me, in that um, I feel like I have just been uh, really enjoying um, a lot of the elements of the story. I think the standout for me has to be the 
and I forget if I said this last time, but um, the, the standout for me is, is definitely the villain, Veronica Kale, because she's just so, like, jaded mm-hmm. and, like, ugh. Like, these heroes are so ridiculous, and, like, I'm trying to save the world, but I have these clowns in costumes running around trying to tell me what to do, and they're so self-righteous and so sanctimonious, and, like, who even cares? Um, and, like, even if I vehemently disagree with that, she, the way she talks and presents it is just so like sassy and entertaining that it's it's hard not to love. Um, but no, other than that, it's just kind of like a really great espionage thriller um, that um, is is picking up on a, a lot of different plot threads. Some from Civil War, some from uh, Secret Empire. Cap even wears the Secret Empire armor at one point, which. Um, is I think <laughs> definitely kind of a strange look, but um, yeah, it's 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 interesting, and uh, it's not like I wouldn't say it's like standout or anything. I know I called it a sleeper hit, but it's like I I think it's solid enough that if you picked it up, you'd be like, yeah, that was pretty good, um, and and that's definitely how I feel. And the art from this team, um, who I've never really been big on, Angel and Zueta or Rochelle Rosenberg, respectively. Um, really bringing their A game for this series, like just you know, pulling out all the stops and, and just really turning out some impressive, impressive stuff. Um, so it's, it, I would say it's worth your time if you're uh, if you're looking for just a solid team up between Cap and Iron Man. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I haven't read issue four yet, so I'm not gonna uh, rate this one. But I, I've, I've enjoyed the books the book so far, and yeah. It's really neat that they really are just pulling out stops, like from the very first issue, where they're dealing with people who, if I remember right, were like leftovers from the Fifty States Initiative. Like, yeah, yeah, like the <laughs> basically the the forgotten heroes from the the fifty one or yeah the fifty one States Initiative. They're just like trying to figure it out at this point. Like, um, hey, we're we're still here. We got to do something. Mm-hmm. Such a weird concept to pull into <laughs> but for a captain america iron man team up it's neat to see them sort of dealing with the the fallout of some of the stuff that you might have read if you have been reading the avengers greatest hits for the past little while mm. but I, I think i think it does a, a good enough job at kind of like helping you um understand that stuff if you didn't read civil war or you kind of forgot about it or you're just not as familiar with it um and just saying like hey you know they were active in this 50 states initiative that happened in this previous story and um that's really all you need to know but but i yeah i think the core of the series is definitely just you know the collaboration between cap and iron man and again for me the heart of this series has been um veronica eden um the the sort of villainous character um who's mm-hmm. just like i said just so jaded and so sassy but it's just so wonderful to read yeah awesome uh, next, we've got Moon Knight number nine. This comes to us by writer Jed McKay, art by Alessandro Capuccio, color by Rochelle Rosenberg, and lettering by uh, Corey Petit. And this one continues the Moon Knight story sort of after we had that uh, Devil's Reign tie-in with Moon Knight. Mm-hmm. This kind of forgets that and moves back to the regular story. Moon Knight is tracking down Zodiac and he's tracking down some things that are going on in the city and he's recovering from Zodiac blowing up the Midnight Mission and this one has him facing off with a 
obscure let's call it a villain um from old doctor strange lore the house mm-hmm. of shadows uh, not familiar it's a literal demonic house sort oh. of an extra dimensional <laughs> place that brings people in and eats them mm-hmm. and i'm not going to spoil how it resolves but i really enjoyed the ending um it it sort of sets up what could become a cool piece of moon knight lore if they don't get rid of it uh just they they create something new for his character just a minor detail that i i really enjoyed and this book it was pleasant to read the whole moon knight series has been just a joy so far and i have to just shout out again um with the art by capuccio and the color by rochelle rosenberg yeah i don't know if there's such a thing as cape porn yes oh my Um, god (laughs) (laughs) i mean i haven't had a chance to to read this issue but just kind of flipping through it and and looking through the previous issues oh my god the number of cape shots is hilarious especially in this issue since moon knight doesn't have anything to punch which is weird (laughs) it is a lot of shots of a heavily foreshortened Moon Knight looking amazing, all whites and blacks, and his cape oh just out and billowing. and uh. It looks great, but it is also a little bit um, indulgent. Yeah, it just, I mean, the size of the cape, it just, it reminds me of like, like a like a Bernie Wrightson or a Todd McFarlane or something, where every time they would do a cape for, um, for Batman or for... In McFarlane's case, Spawn, um, it would just be like comically large, like it would almost envelop him like a tarp, um, mm-hmm. and it's um, it's it, that that is always funny to me when it's just like these giant billowing capes and they're supposed to be like running across rooftops and stuff. It's like I don't even know how you manage that, like just aerodynamically. Because if if I were you, I would be tripping over that cape every single time. Right. I- it is though it is nice to see like and it's funny that you mentioned spawn uh, i grew up reading a ton of spawn i mm. um like i've got a signed issue 100 of spawn framed very close to me <laughs> nice, at this exact moment nice. um <laughs> and so i and i hadn't even drawn the connection that i'm sitting here admiring all these capes and i grew up watching the capiest capes hell yeah <laughs> Uh, so I'm, I'm definitely seeing that pattern in myself now. Uh, but just seeing this and talking about that, it does get me excited that Moon Knight's coming to the MCU because I think we're going to get some official, you know, cape work in the Marvel Cinematic <laughs> Universe. Hey, Marvel you said it yourself. Why not? Capes. You, you, Kirk, you said it yourself. You coined it here. Um, why not just run with it? Well, let's, let's, let's get some cape porn in the MCU. <laughs> Right? Yeah. It's a good time. I gave this one uh, an 8.5 out of 10. I really... uh, I liked it. It was a good read. Moon Knight... Mm. They're nailing Moon Knight or Mr. Knight or whatever version of himself he's being right now. They're nailing his voice. Uh, The dialogue is on point. Especially in this one where the thing he's fighting isn't a person. It's not something he can punch. So it is a very introspective, it is a very dialogue-centered issue. Yeah. Yeah. so it's it's top tier. I enjoyed it. 
Yeah, no, I uh, like I said, I haven't had a chance to check this one out, but I'm I'm excited to uh, to get a chance to read it because it's it's been really enjoyable so far. Um, and I I'm also interested to see what they're going to be doing with uh, Moon Knight and the MCU. That trailer was just it like it, it felt like it was really trying to stay true to a lot of the Moon Knight mythos and. Um, I uh, I want I want to see how far they can go. I want to see if they're going to really embrace the capes. <laughs> right. Uh, I look forward to it. the The only thing that could uh, you know bring more cape than Moon Knight, I think, would be someone like Sentry. Like, oh my god! Big billowing capes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we're getting all the multiverse stuff now, so honestly, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even put it past them. Like, we could definitely get a Sentry Incorporated soon. But I. You said that, and I just I started thinking about it. I was like, yeah, I guess, I guess the MCU right now is very devoid of capes. I mean, um, we've most got Doctor people... Strange's living cape, but yeah, I mean, he's got his cloak, um, but uh, and you know, Thor has his his kind of cape usually, but other than that, it's it's sort of empty. So you got to step it up, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's also I think an emblematic of the fact that Marvel. Just doesn't do capes a lot. Like, yeah, I, I think most I of their s- most favorite characters are not caped crusaders. Yeah, I, 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 and I could be completely making this up, but I remember hearing somewhere that that Stanley had said like, "Oh, I don't really." He, he was like, "I don't really want um, a lot of the the Marvel characters to have sidekicks, and I don't really want them to have capes." Um, I could be completely BSing that. Um, so take that with a grain of salt. But I remember hearing that somewhere. And I was like, yeah, I guess they really don't. Um, but Miles Morales agrees with me in, uh, in Into the Spider-Verse. Capes are cool. And, uh, and mm-hmm. you can put a cape on a Spider-Man costume and it would look cool. Just right? saying. Yeah. I... <laughs> um, speaking of Spider-Man, well, sort of, our next <laughs> issue, what if Miles Morales was Captain America or became Captain America? This is a what-if issue brought to us by Cody Ziegler on writing, Paco Medina on art, um, Walden Wong, Victor Olazaba, and Sean Parsons on ink, and Chris Sotomayor on color with Corey Petit on lettering. This is a what-if issue that has uh, Miles Morales' dad and uncle as members of the United States Army. Um looking to inherit the legacy of Captain America as the super soldier serum has now been perfected and they are looking to create the a brand new Captain America. Uh, well, Uncle Aaron takes the serum, leaves it in the fridge, and a young teenager, Miles Morales, cracks open the can of red juice. <laughs> yeah, something like that. And becomes a super soldier. <laughs> uh from there, we see a what-if issue um, spanning very traditional what-if territory. We Instead of the Red Skull, we have... Uh, what is his name? Uh, we have Lonnie Lincoln as the Gray Skull. We have Genki as the Tinkerer who works for the uh-huh. Gray Skull. And <laughs> instead of a Winter laugh. Soldier... Uh, instead of a Winter Soldier, the Gray Skull employs a mysterious soldier known as the Prowler. They steal a cosmic cube to power an interdimensional fracker. (laughs) 
so that they can steal weapons from other universes to sell on the arms market. And Captain America, Miles Morales, Captain America, and Falcon, uh, Tiana, I don't remember her last name. Uh, yeah uh wait oh i don't remember oh my god i'm so sorry no no it's fine i can't remember either it's Um, yeah it's it's it's, oh crap it's i know it's his girlfriend tiana something but I, i i just don't remember the name Uh, Tiana Toomes. Duh. That, oh yes, yes. Because I was like, she was, she was like the daughter of like one of. I was trying to remember. Um, I thought it was Lincoln for a second because I, I forgot Tombstone's um, last name um, for a second. But yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Kirk. Yeah. Um, well, this this book is it's standard. What if fair? Uh, you know, we get the Captain America realizing that the masked soldier who works for the enemy is someone close to him all along, his uncle. Uh, his uncle, rather than being severely brainwashed, though, admits to have being terribly jealous and needed space to be evil so he could forgive his nephew for having the superpowers he wanted. It's very odd in how it's phrased. <laughs> uh and then it's resolved in traditional what-if way. It's very wrapped up neatly. It's a nice read. A lot of fun mm-hmm. references in there uh, to seeing different versions of Miles Morales' story spread out over uh, just an alternative paint job. I enjoyed the book. It it was fun. It they It's kicking off a couple Miles Morales what-if. Because the next one is, what if Miles Morales was Wolverine? And I hope the other ones are not as formulaic as this one was. Because this was yeah. an enjoyable book. But it was really just like, oh, look, someone's falling out of a helicopter. Oh, look, now they're evil. Oh, like mm. it. And then it was a couple, you know, recasting red skull as gray skull and genki works over there now and it's it was fine it was fun it's a fun nod a lot of what ifs are just looking at the camera and nodding a bunch of times i had an okay time i gave it a seven out of ten it's if you like like what ifs you'll have a good time with this one it's uh Mm. but it most what ifs like this one this one like most what ifs doesn't tread too close to anything narratively fascinating or emotional yeah it's, it's just sort of fun like it, I, yeah it's a uh, it's serviceable um but i don't know that i would call it like exceptional or anything like you can have kind of a a really interesting engaging one and done story but uh this one's just kind of like yeah it's fun an interesting concept but uh that's about it All right. So next we have the kickoff issue of the all-new Ghost Rider series with Ghost Rider number one. This one comes to us from 
sorry, my credit list crashed. Mm. Apologies, everyone. This one comes to us by Benjamin Percy on writing, Corey Smith on art, Brian Valenza on color, and Travis Lanham on letters. Uh, and I'll pass it over to Brandon to hit this one up. Definitely, definitely. Just give me one second, sorry. Yeah, so this is a, a, a fresh start for Ghost Rider in a certain way, um, where Johnny Blaze is... Well, we don't know exactly where he is. That's what we're trying to figure out. Um, where it seems to be in some kind of, like, I guess, almost idyllic community. Um, I, I would, you know, call it a, a very passive community where he had, I guess, been in some kind of accident and then woke up in this, like, very, almost like Archie Comics-style small-town world. Um, but he feels that there's something, like, kind of unsettling about the place. And really the whole issue kind of uh, deals with, like, this sort of, unsettling part of the small town aesthetic um, before revealing that it's all just sort of been a ruse by some demons um, to kind of trap him in this town, which they successfully do. And so the kind of big reveal um, is that um, even though Johnny has sort of discovered the secret, um, it seems like he's still kind of trapped in this small town as a sort of hellish prison. Um, so it's an interesting setup, I think. Um, sort of, like, I feel like I've seen this kind of idea before um so i can't call it wholly original but i think if they kind of really dig deep into the um sort of psychological effects that it has on johnny especially just being in this you know really tortured town uh, as we reveal you know later in the issue i think it could be something really interesting but i, I definitely kind of have to see it play out a little bit more so solid opening i gave it an eight out of ten um and i thought the art worked pretty well for the story just kind of in some of the muddier areas muddier areas where um you know johnny is is sort of experiencing the town um as it actually is for the first time and we see just kind of this gross hellish disgusting place run by demons um and uh it, it, it just looked really good awesome yeah i also gave it an eight out of ten uh, I'm excited to see more where it goes. Uh, I haven't really read much on Ghost Rider. Well, in a while, I think we we had a Ghost Rider one-off during King and King and Black. I think it was. Was it Ghost Rider? Yes. Yeah. It was. Yeah. It was like a. It was like a one-shot. Yeah. Like a something <clears throat> like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, there was like I think it was a one-shot because he's. And in that one shot, I think they changed that he's not King of Hell anymore, or no? Yeah, I think he lost the title, but I don't. I don't think it was. Was it Mephisto who got the title back? I don't remember. Um, it might have been Mephisto. I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and read a King and Title spinoff or King and Black spinoff to find out. <laughs> um, I'm sure. Whoever is King of Hell is probably going to show up in Ghost Rider's book. Yeah. But yeah, it was a good book, good starting spot, and I'm excited to see Ghost Rider do, uh, go somewhere. Um, aside from that tie-in, I don't know if, how long it was since I last read a Ghost Rider book. Yeah. Like, an ongoing. Is this a ongoing, or is this five issues? 
Uh, I think this is an ongoing. It seems like it's an ongoing because it's got that you know deluxe first issue um, size right. where it's you know kind of setting up a lot of stuff. So cool, cool. All right, well, we're just going to take a quick commercial break. After these messages, we'll be right back. Now, back to our program. And we're back. Uh, so now Did we're just going <laughs> So now we're just going to finish up with our soapbox comics. Just a few that we wanted to spend a bit more time on. Go into a bit more detail. And we're going to start uh, with a new book that kicked off this week. Doctor Strange number one. Uh, Doctor Strange number one comes to us by a wonderful team with Jed McKay on writing, Marcelo, Marcelo Ferreira on pencils, Don Ho with uh, Roberto... Uh, Roberto Poggi? 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 I think it might be Poggi on ink. or something like that. Uh, Hava Tartaglia and Felipe Sobrero on color, and Corey Pettit on lettering. And this, or sorry, I called it Doctor Strange number one, but it is just mm. strange. Yeah. Uh, because this book is about strange, and it is about the Sorcerer Supreme. Yes. But this strange is not a doctor. For those of you who didn't finish the Death of Strange uh, event series, which I wouldn't blame you, but it, it had a lot of tie-ins that I wouldn't mm. say were the most heavy uh, and uh, in importance. Yeah, we have a new Sorcerer Supreme of Earth. Indeed, we do. And who is it, Kirk? Clea Strange. Yeah, which and someone is is not very happy about, as we find out in this issue, at least in the first part, right? Yeah, this issue kicks off with uh, a knock on the door uh, of the Sorcerer Supreme Sanctum Sanctorum. Dr. Victor Von Doom has come to formally request his title of Sorcerer Supreme, <laughs> oh, the accompanying God. Eye of Agamotto, and all the <laughs> all of the rights and privileges that belong to the title to be transferred over to him. Doom just comes across as, like, the most petulant crybaby about it. Like, I am the master of magic. I obviously deserve the title. And it's like, oh, my God. You're so full of yourself. Right? Yeah, it absolutely kicks off with him just... He treats Clea so poorly, too. Mm. Like, just... Um, what does he say? Like, uh... Strange could not simply give this to his woman. <laughs> like, oh. It, I like Doctor Doom, but this is not his best light. No. But it, it does feel very in character for Doom, who, you know, being a magic user, could certainly sense that there was a, a void in the title of Sorcerer Supreme. So I'm sure he thought, oh, well, naturally, being one of the most powerful sorcerers in the, the current universe, it would... Stand to reason that I should inherit the title over anyone else. And it's like, no. No, you really don't. Um, and, and it's that kind of arrogance that always gets you into trouble, Vic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so after wrapping that up, we have Clea and Wong discuss what to do about the absence of Stephen Strange. 
and they have decided that they're going to go about a mission to bring him back. And they briefly discuss what to do about notifying the Avengers about the need of a new Sorcerer Supreme, uh, maybe talking to the Avengers about, hey, you've all come back to life a couple of times. Maybe you're a good starting point for how we get Strange to come back. And Wong and Clea go to visit a hidden goblin market in New York uh, that gets attacked by a group of uh, a criminal syndicate of sorts. Um, they uh, I don't I don't know how to describe them. They they use guns. But obviously laced with magic bullets and grenades that contain demons. And they call themselves the Blasphemy Cartel. And they don't stand out in my memory as something I've seen a lot before. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, they, they almost seem new. like a they almost seem like a black ops magic themed or magic themed black ops team. Um, but I'm I'm not incredibly familiar with them either. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally we see a uh, a glimpse at the end that something is happening between the realm of the dead and the living. Uh, and Clea is prepared for this because she believes that there's a good chance that Strange may just come back on his own, whether or not her or Wong take any actions. Uh, and I won't spoil the end of the issue, uh, but I will talk about something that happens at the start, that we do see a sign of things to come of Clea facing off against the Harvestman, yeah. a uh, sort of harbinger of the spaces between life and death. I liked this as a premiere issue. I did too. It it was good. Uh, Jed McKay wrote this one as well, so uh, he's he's nailing uh, dialogue lately a lot for me. Clea and Wong. Um, have a few conversations that sort of go between the uh, maudlin uh, wallowing of losing Steven in their lives <laughs> to sort of the ramifications of real magic and the universe and what must be done. Victor shows up and is, yeah, a petulant crybaby. And yeah, it's a good book. The art is good. It was a It was a good start. I had a lot of fun with this one. Uh, I gave it a 8.5 out of 10. Nice. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was exceptionally tight. It was an exceptionally tight first issue, I think. Just really, like, polished and, and put together, and it flowed really well, which is, I think is the thing that I was most impressed by. Like, it, it just it felt like it flowed very naturally and, and uh, very evenly enough that I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, like, I don't feel like I have to stop or anything. I was just kind of going through it until I got to the end with the reveal of the um you know the uh kind of creepy character thunderstrike um and um <laughs> i think uh i i, I mean if, you know i i don't know how long this is gonna last because uh, lord knows marvel loves their changes sometimes um but it's it's hard for them to stick to that change um so hopefully we, we get at least, you know, a, a couple arcs to kind of enjoy Klee as as the sorceress sorceress supreme or sorcerer supreme, whichever she she prefers. Um, 
but no, it just it flowed really well, set up some interesting stuff, and uh, I guess really the only thing I had left to say was just poor Wong, man. He's going out, <laughs> getting drunk every night because he's sad and he misses his friend, and it's like, I wish I could give you a hug, buddy. You, uh, you really seem like you need it right now. Yeah, I, uh, I, I feel for Wong, I really do. Just, just doesn't look like he's, uh, he's in a good place right now. Like I said, he's, he's going out and getting drunk. He's got like a stubble all over his face. Like he hasn't shaved and <laughs> looks disheveled. And it's like, uh, come on, buddy. Buddy. <laughs> all right. Well, I think next we can move on to Daredevil Woman Without Fear. Yeah. This comes to us by way of Chip Zdarsky writing, Rafael De La Torre on art, color by Federico Blee, and lettering by Clayton Cowles. Uh, Brandon, what do you what do you have to say about Woman Without Fear? Well, what I have to say is uh, two things. Um, number one, uh, great Electra story. Number two, I don't care mm-hmm. about the hand, but. Let's save that for later <laughs> once we actually uh, get into the story. So really it just kind of picks up where we had left off. They're at Columbia University, and Electra's about to have her big showdown with, uh, I almost said Kingpin, um, with Craven, who had revealed that he was actually uh, employed, had been deputized by the Thunderbolts. So that gives him full license to engage and just beat the crap out of Electra if he needs to, which he kind of does until... Electra is able to kind of escape for a little bit, um, and of course she knows that Craven is going to give pursuit, but she is using that to her advantage because she remembers that she is an assassin, which means that <clears throat> trained in certain arts, uh, she works better in the dark, uh, you know, just kind of making Craven angry and confusing him and, and just sort of putting him on edge so you can use that weakness to strike. Um, And just has a really great moment where she kind of embraces that she has a different style than someone like Matt Murdock, who's more of a brawler, a boxer, and she's someone who strikes in the shadows and and in the night, which having read Electra Black, uh, White, and Blood, and then reading this was perfect um, because it was literally just like back-to-back, like, oh, yeah, she does strike in the dark, and here are three stories that prove it. Um... But uh, before she can kind of celebrate that victory, uh, she realizes that it was all a ruse, or really just kind of gets confirmation that it was all a ruse from an agent of the hand named Akka, who uh, had revealed that her mission to recruit Matt Murdock that uh, we found out about in the last issue um, is you know going to come with some consequences for her failing to do it, and uh, uh, the hand will not let this rest. Um, and if she thinks she can try and reunite the fist to fight the hand, then she's got another thing coming. Um, but before she can kind of gather her thoughts and uh, plan what to do next about the thunderbolts and the hand and Craven and everything else, uh, she needs to get a quick getaway, which she does uh, by stealing some clothes uh, from some poor, unsuspecting Columbia University student, but knowing them, she probably deserved it. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) She's uh, able to uh, catch up with the uh, lawyer friend that she had uh, kind of reunited with in the first issue, um, who rather somberly reveals that, and I'm not going to say it because it's kind of a spoiler, 
it's definitely a spoiler, especially for the next issue of Devil's Reign, but let's just say that someone important was killed recently that is putting Elektra directly on the warpath uh, for Kingpin. So watch your neck, Fisk. Elektra's coming for you. Uh, but we get one little epilogue before we're done. Akka, who, again, had sort of been chiding Elektra on her failure uh, to you know, welcome Matt Murdock into the hand, uh, has found that there might be another person who would be willing to help the hand. And I don't know if I should spoil it. I mean, I feel like it's already known because the preview is out for <coughs> the series Everyone... that's going to follow this character. So should I just say it or, or, or what do you think? I would say that this is not a reveal because they have been... They revealed that the new symbol and the new look like yeah. a month to three months ago. Mm. Like, they know this character works with the Beast. Okay. Yeah, okay. So well, we then, yeah. It. So, yeah, so then Akka reveals that the new agent who will be working for the Hand, uh, taking Elektra's place, is none other than Frank Castle, the Punisher, who, yeah, if you've read the preview to the new series or just, like, followed the news, you'll know that he had that symbol like Kirk said and is working for the Beast and all that stuff. So it's not like a huge reveal, but it is at least kind of getting you ready for next week's Punisher issue. Um, so yeah, I mean, just I think a really solid wrap-up so far. Uh, issue 2 was kind of a little weak for me, but I think this really brought it to a satisfying conclusion and at least has me interested for Electra's uh, next path as she guns directly for Fisk's uh, rather large neck. Um, but... Again, I just, my problem, and I, I feel like a broken record at this point, but it's just my problem is, I, I love this stuff with, you know, uh, Electra and her embracing her, her ninja roots, her assassin roots as her own version of Daredevil and all that stuff. And I, I'm super excited to see how the showdown is going to go between her and Fisk, but every time they bring up the hand, my eyes go into the back of my head because I don't care about the hand at all. I never have, and in all honesty, I probably never will. They're not a very interesting plot point. It's just like a clan of ninjas that I don't care about, and it it feels like they're really building it up to be this big thing, and I know Zdarsky has talked about this kind of being the last leg of his run, the big showdown between the hand, and I'm just like, that is the least interesting part of anything to do with Daredevil for me. Um, so... That kind of brought it down a little bit for me, where it's like, oh, we really have to deal with this again. Like, can we just be done with the hand, please? Um, so it got an 8 out of 10 for me, like really satisfying, and I love the art from De La Tour, but I just, I so don't care about the hand, and I wish they could just delete it forever. Man, yeah, I didn't know you were so down on the hand. Like, to me, they've always just been another criminal faction. Like, we've got regular crime criminals we've got magic criminals we've got super criminals this one is uh never dying demon worshiping crime ninjas that's all <laughs> it's i think uh, it's just never... so far off from like a lot of the other stuff that daredevil has done that it just i don't know it, it just lacked any kind of interesting qualities to me where i'm like oh yeah i can really get behind that it's like one moment he's fighting kingpin and bullseye and it's this big emotional thing and then suddenly he's fighting immortal ninjas and trying to stop them from raising an ancient beast and i'm like what the hell is happening here mm -hmm. i get that yeah i gave this book an eight out of ten uh i liked the fight between her and craven 
Uh, I liked the art and um, I'm I'm not as down on the hand as Brandon. Uh, They're not (laughs) like my favorites by any means. Uh, But the the hand versus the fist is something that I've always enjoyed, usually when it is done well. So uh, if Electra reforms the fist, we get a cool showdown against the Punisher. I'm kind of okay with that. I'm fine with the emotional stuff. I just I don't care about them as a plot point. They're just like there for me. Um, so if it's if it's if if we get to like a satisfying emotional conclusion, it's like oh here's something kind of new for Electra and for Matt. Cool with that. But everything else of them like oh we must we must take down the hand with the fist and we must use our ancient ninja arts to fight it against them. I'm just like oh, I don't care. Just <laughs> let's be done with this, please. Fair enough, fair enough. All right. Now we'll uh, we'll tune over to X-Men number nine. Uh, X-Men number nine comes to us with Jerry Duggan on writing, C.F. Via on art, Marte Gracia on color, and Clayton Cowles on lettering. Uh, this book is a middle issue, I would say. Mm. Uh, we see a couple different votes. We see the Quiet Council voting on whether or not they should declare war on Orcus. We see Orcus talking about breaking Modok out of prison because they want uh, Modok's new drug that he's created that makes people scared and angry. Because humans aren't scared and angry enough at everything already. (laughs) I just can't hate that drug enough. (laughs) Yeah. And then we see the Council of uh, the, the Great Ring of Arako where Storm leads a vote on whether or not uh, the Iraqi should go to Amenth to declare war there because there's not enough war on their current planet. Because the Iraqi are that way. (laughs) And Storm assures them that war is going to come to them, that they will soon have fight enough for them. Uh, But some of them it's not enough, but that vote does not pass. And then we see rogue and gambit trashing nowhere to try and find uh information on game world Mm. i don't know how i couldn't remember game world but i couldn't remember the name of it uh all the while uh destiny takes the role of gambit's mother-in-law and lectures them yeah on the futility of their efforts and that rogue should be working with mystique and destiny to worry about the futures that destiny can see not chasing down leads in game world uh yeah destiny really is the the judgmental stepmother in uh in this one uh where she's just like you 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 this this pathetic patois speaking cajun assassin or, or not assassin or cajun thief um are, are married to my daughter or is married to my daughter like seriously she's not of better taste right oh man she this is like a new look for destiny for me destiny with her gold mask has always seemed very cold very calculating mm. a little sinister this was a very human destiny yeah like she heckles Gambit, and when he's like, aren't you the greatest precog? You've spent the most time dead. That should be a record mm. or something. To which she replies, when I found out 
that you had married my daughter, I asked them to kill me again. Yeah. <laughs> like, very, very bitter, very just mean and spiteful to each other. Oh, yeah. Uh, and after they leave, she does this little, like, shudder, and she just says, I hate you. Like, she's very... <laughs> Uh, very human in her emotions in this, which we don't see from <laughs> Destiny a lot. Oh yeah, yeah. This is a this is a, um, a different Irene uh, reborn for the Krakoanes that uh, is is very judgmental. <laughs> um, but yeah, other than that, it's it's a decent issue. The action is just the only action in this issue is them beating up random aliens to try and fight Game mm. World. Um, I, I guess we see Nimrod kill some people. Yeah. Uh, which I guess is good. Uh, I must have missed an issue. I don't know if it was in this X-Men arc. I thought I was fully up to date on X-Men. Maybe it was in another issue. Hmm. Is Abigail Brand working with Orcus now? Yeah, I think that was in the last issue of Sword, um, where it was revealed that she was basically... um, uh, a traitor, essentially, um, and had killed Henry Gierich, um to take his place as the uh, uh, liaison to Orcus. So now Sword is essentially working for Orcus, or Brand is working for Orcus, not entirely sure. Um, but, yeah, no, basically she uh, she's like, she'd kind of turned in that last issue and was like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm working for them because... Even though I might be a mutant and I've used their technology, I think we all know that they are are—they're—they're—they're uh, they're, they're, they're a little too powerful right now, and someone needs to kind of come in and check them. Um, so yeah, kind of a kind of a crazy twist in that last issue of Sword, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out further in uh, X Men Red. Yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah, but other than that minor detail that I was confused about. This was a good issue. Uh, we get fun with Irene. We get a bit of quiet council drama and a great ring of Arako drama. And at the end, a, a new arc is sort of put forward that Storm and Sunfire are discussing uh, a, a potential rescue mission into Otherworld, which I got to say I'm a little lukewarm on. I feel like mm. I just spent a lot of time in Otherworld, but maybe that's just because I read a lot of Excalibur and I read... Uh, well, the X of Swords. Yeah, we had a you know <coughs> giant months long event that was dealing with Otherworld. Yeah, so I just feel like I've been in Otherworld a lot too lately. But it looks like we might be going back to Otherworld. So mm. I, I'll hold judgment on it. I I think Otherworld can is really it, it can be very quite varied in terms of what stories you get in Otherworld. So it won't necessarily oh, yeah, be anything like what I've experienced in the other issues so i'm fine with it i just uh i am curious what it's going to bring and i i gave this uh this one a a 7.5 out of 10 yeah this one got a 7.75 for me so not that much higher um i'm still really interested in a lot of the plot threads that they're pulling together um but i do have to say it, it does feel like they're they're building to a lot of stuff, but I'm just wondering when that payoff is going to be. Because um, it feels like a lot of the last couple issues have just been like, okay, here's what's going on with Dr. Stasis. Here's what's going on with 
the Fei Long, Elon Musk type guy. Here's what's going on with um, uh, Modoc. Here's what's going on with the game world thing and um, Cordyceps <laughs> Jones. And here's what's going on with the high evolutionary. And it's a, it's, it's a lot of like set up for, I assume, future conflicts. And I'm just worried that it's going to get a little crowded when it reaches its conclusion. And I'm, I'm hoping that some of that stuff could start to pay off soon so that it's not like you know, it just kind of cluttered when it gets to the end. Mm-hmm. I hear that. Um, yeah. And then, so the last issue on our radar today is Amazing Spider-Man number 91. Uh, this one comes to us by the writing team, or the team of writer Kelly Thompson, Sarah Pacelli, and Fran Gallatin on pencils, Brian Reber on color and Joe Caramagna on lettering. Uh, and I'll pass this one over to uh, to Brandon. My pleasure. So over the weekend, uh, or actually last weekend, I finally had a chance to catch up on Spider-Man. Um, so I, I, I wasn't like completely in the dark as to what the hell was going on. Um, but basically, if, if you've been following the story so far, um, this is sort of... Um, following up from the last couple issues where Ben had been basically having his mind erased and it sort of reworked by the Beyond Corporation. And um, in the most recent reworking, they had gone a little too far and had basically deleted like a lot of the essentials of what makes him Spider-Man. And, and he actually had a scene where he didn't even remember the great power, you know, comes great responsibility thing. Um, so this issue really picks up on that where Ben is sort of having an identity crisis and isn't really sure what's going on uh, while Pete who is now fresh out of the hospital and still trying to get back into the swing of things um, no pun intended or actually maybe pun very much intended <laughs> not sure um, but anyway uh, while Pete is trying to get back into the swing of things he's also like Ben I need you um, while Ben is sort of going through his identity crisis thing um, and so they are at an a beyond facility in Staten Island that they had been using to manufacture new supervillains um, and basically had released all of them from their, uh, you know, holding cages um, so that, uh, you know, the Spider-Man could take care of them, but also learn a little bit of humility and hopefully fall back in line with, with beyond and everything. Um, but they're holding off the monsters as best they can uh, until they get a, I guess not even last minute save, just somewhat kind of save from Misty Knight and uh, Colleen Wing who show up in their tricked out car, uh, smashing and crashing <laughs> and doing their usual thing and wrecking yet another car that Beyond is going to have to pay for, I'm sure. Um, but that's when, um, you know, Ben kind of goes to the <clears throat> secret room that they have labeled the Door Z. Um, where something sinister lurks in the background and uh, Ben is trying to hack in and, and open the door and, and release something. Um, but uh, Maxine kind of phones in and says, hey, Ben, really shouldn't do this. Come back to Beyond. We'll, we'll hook you up. Like, this isn't, this isn't what you should be. Um, and Ben just kind of has a, a fuck it moment where he's just like, you know what? I'll just open the door. Like, whatever. Like, Screw screw! trying to just find out information about this stuff. I'm just going to open it. Damn the world. Um, again, sort of Ben's uh, lack of, of knowledge about what happens when you don't have responsibility for any kind of great power 
uh, is, is really evident here. Uh, but that's when we find out that behind door Z, behind that special door, is none other than a very monstrous looking lizard, Kurt Connors, who I assume that Beyond has been experimenting on uh, for this time because it like, just looks like an even worse version of a lizard, um, which I guess Pete and the gang and, and uh, uh, probably Beyond too are going to have to figure out how to clean up in the next issue. So it's fine. Um, enjoyable, I would say. I, I think I really enjoy just kind of Pete and Ben doing their thing in the earlier parts of the issue where it's just them kind of like, I don't know, like quipping and, and fighting off the monsters and, and all that stuff when Ben's not having his identity crisis. Um, there, there are brief moments where they're kind of just like, it's, it's almost like a, a very like bro-inspired um, Spider-Man team up of, of just you know these two brothers trying to fight off the the monsters of the beyond corporation um but yeah it's it i don't want to say it's running out of steam but i think if you're reading this issue you can kind of tell that they're they're very much ready to move on to the next era of spider-man where it feels like okay we're really at the end let's just kind of get there um as fast as we can and just wrap this up so that's a little unfortunate as someone who you know maybe hadn't enjoyed every single aspect of the beyond era but i had kind of signed on for it and, and i'd hope that we'd have a little more time and um really it was only a couple months so I, I was you know kind of sad that they had just sort of rushed to the end at some points but here we are so um yeah it, you know it's it's fine it does what it needs to do and it has its fun moments but uh you can definitely feel like they're ready to just be done with it so i gave it a seven and a half awesome yeah, I didn't get any great vibes from it either, so I also gave it a uh, a seven and a half. It <clears throat> it's a fine issue that just continues sort of uh, the Ben saga of everything, mm. but it doesn't take it anywhere. I would say interesting. Um, that's about all I've got for Spider Man. Yeah, there really isn't much else to um, say. No, there really isn't. Um, before we go into our final segment, uh, there is one brief thing, and I didn't warn Brandon about this. Uh, oh. I, I'm i going to just try and pull up a, a unique piece of Marvel trivia every... Uh, every time we do one of these now, and put Brandon's semi-encyclopedic knowledge to the test. Whew, Jesus, <laughs> I'm not prepared for this. I'm scared. All right, the theme for the next few <laughs> that I do, because I'm going to do one an episode, but the theme for the first batch of these is I'm going to take a iconic Marvel character, famous in song and story, who was not introduced in their own comic, but was introduced as a character in another character, in another character's comic before becoming Interesting. famous. Interesting. All you have to do is try and guess where they were actually introduced. And today we're going to start with a famous mutant, Sabretooth. Who do you think Sabretooth first appeared alongside? Ooh, actually, I, I, I think I do know this one. Um, God, please don't screw this up. Um, I think it was Iron Fist. Um, y- 
Yes, it was. Okay. <laughs> yes, because um, uh, this is the only thing that saved my ass. Um, I had recently read the Ed Brisson run on Iron Fist, and there was a story that they referenced from the past um, from, I guess, like the 70s or something, where they had teamed up to fight, I want to say Constrictor. Um, and it sounded so silly that I, I wanted to check it out, which I haven't yet. But um, that was my guess. I was like, I, I assume that's probably the first time he showed up. I don't know. But whew, yeah, okay. I, Sabretooth's very first appearance, and I just read it. I don't even think the word mutant is anywhere used to describe him. Mm. In Iron Fist 14, stranded in the mountains near Calgary, Canada, of all places. Uh, yeah. Uh, the famous mercenary and freebooter, deadly pirate Sabretooth, <laughs> jumps out of a helicopter to fight the Iron Fist in the mountains. Nice. Uh, where he, in his brute strength and ferocity, is unhindered by the snowfall that blinds Iron Fist. And Iron Fist has to use his training of sightless combat to remember how to defeat oh, Sabretooth. <laughs> man. And, yeah. It was those, a weird those, start for Sabretooth. I know. Those, those like, I've only read probably a handful of them, less than that even. But some of those old, like, Iron Fist um, and Shang-Chi issues, the 70s Kung Fu issues or karate issues, um, they're great. I mean, they're not, like, <laughs> like top tier content but they're a lot of fun to read um where it's it's just silliness like that you know yeah it was and they really just created this character as a guy who wears a big furry covered suit <laughs> and he hits iron fist a couple times yeah he's he's not especially feral he's just good at fighting in the mountains mm. and the snow and he he doesn't really and he's very well spoken, which some versions of Sabretooth are. Mm. Uh, it was just—it's an interesting place to find out that he did not start anywhere near the X Men. Yeah, yeah, kind of like a, kind of like his his blood brother Wolverine, who you know had, had appeared in Hulk, I want to say, and uh, wasn't introduced as a mutant. He was just like character with claws, um, and then later they kind of you know co opted him into the X-Men as a mutant. Um, but yeah, his first appearance, he's just like, yeah, tough guy with claws and a mask. Uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, sorry for not warning you about that. I just no, uh, no, that's good. thought it would be please. fun to, to grill you on some <laughs> Yeah, history. please do. I, I, I'm, I'm surprised I was able to get it. But uh... <laughs> Awesome. Well, now we'll finish up with our top three and our biggest stinker. Uh, Brandon, if you want to go first, what were your uh, what were your top three of the week? Yeah, I kind of have to think about it again um, and just remember what my my scores were. Um, but I would say, at least for me, because um, I didn't I didn't write out my top three, but um, I would probably put. X-Men at three, Daredevil Without Fear at two, and then Electra, Black, White, and Blood at uh, at one, actually. Again, because it was just really kind of shocking issue and how much I, I just enjoyed each short story um, and, and how interesting each presentation was. Um, but my biggest stinker... Hmm... 
I mean, it feels like low-hanging fruit, but there's really no one else I can go to except Carnage Forever. It just was like, whatever. Look, I, I we've harped on it enough, but um, I just feel like it was, it was exactly what you would expect from a Carnage-type book. And if that's your thing, then that's fine. Um, I'm sure a lot of people would be very satisfied with that and uh, will be looking forward to the upcoming series. But I, like you, Kirk, don't really care that much. <laughs> yeah, Carnage definitely takes my biggest stinker award. Uh, just, it's it's not something I enjoyed reading. It, it was definitely on... It was more of a chore that I read because... I know there's a number one coming and I want to I wanted to cover this. Mm. Okay, this is technically a number one, but I wanted to cover this because they said it was going to have some impact on the new Carnage number one. And I know unless it's stupendous, I'm probably not gonna be reading the Carnage ongoing for very long. No. Um, <laughs> but when I cover that number one, I wanted to have all my ducks in a row. So if I said guys don't read it. I would be speaking from authority. <laughs> yeah. So. So Carnage Forever was part of that. Uh, but my top three, it's a Jed McKay kind of week for Kirk. Because my top three uh, are Moon Knight, She-Hulk, and Strange. Uh, and two out of three go to Jed McKay. Yeah, that's awesome. I, so. I would say that you're biased because I, I believe Jed McKay is a, is a Canuck, if I remember correctly. Um, but I also oh, really, really enjoy those issues. That. Yeah, I, I also <laughs> really enjoy those issues too. So that's that's perfectly valid. Um, and I, I like I said, I haven't checked out Moon Knight yet, but I'm I'm excited to because um, it's been really solid so far. Yeah, uh, I I do recommend checking it out. Uh, just slight change, and it might never amount to much in the great scheme of the Moon Knight saga, but mm. the a subtle detail that could be just a subtle change to certain things about Moon Knight in the future if they keep it around. Yeah. Um, awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Brandon. And thank Absolutely. you to our listeners. Uh, we can't do this without you. Remember, if you guys enjoyed what you hear, if you want to share it, you know, get out, like, download, share, recommend our episodes, uh, and reach out to us. Tell us, you know, how we can tweak our content, make sure uh, we're giving you the best reviews and best feedback on the the comic books you love and remember if you want to support us financially there is the buymeacoffee.com slash nar podcast gets you access to our discord where we're sure to talk about all kinds of crazy stuff and uh whether it's comic books video games uh you name it uh, i was having a conversation the other day just about how long movies are with all that said as always there's only one way we say goodbye around here until next time be good to each other and uh, don't be a robot I'm not gonna